Romans chapter 12. When I was a young boy growing up in Montana, my mom did not want me and my three younger brothers drinking coffee. And so she told us that you drink coffee and it'll stunt your growth, okay? And so that mom told us that, so we kind of believed that. And, and mom actually, uh, she had some proof for this. Uh, there was a little scrawny little ranch kid by the name of Sean, and he, we knew him. And uh, guess what? He drank coffee, okay? And so she said, see, look what happened to Sean. I'm like, okay, so we're supposed to stay away from coffee. Now, I have stayed away from coffee my entire life. I want you to know that because, frankly, I don't feel I can afford to have my growth stunted physically or spiritually or emotionally, intellectually. I've just completely stayed away from that. Now, in case you're confused, uh, like I was for the first 20 years of my life on that issue, I, I want you to know something. Coffee actually can't stunt your growth. In fact, caffeine can't, okay? So that's actually good news. Some of you are like, whoa, wait a second, I didn't know about this. It cannot stunt your growth. But let me tell you something that can completely stunt your growth spiritually. And that is if you don't have a really good working understanding of Romans 12, 1 and 2. If you do not, if these two verses aren't part of your DNA and your fabric of how you go through life, it you're going to find that the Christian life is a struggle. Oftentimes, it's not going to make sense. You're going to be a lot of really confused. And that is because you need these verses actively a part of your life. In fact, if you're wondering how in the world are we really transformed in our relationship with Christ, these two verses are central to it. They give us the mindset of what it means to experience transformation in Christ. And just to review, it says, chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. If you want transformation, you need to be dwelling upon God's mercies. When we talk about God's mercies, that is not only our motivation, but our means by which we're transformed. God's mercies are the multitude of blessings that we have because of our relationship with Christ. Okay? Anything from the fact that we are declared right, justification, God's presence in our life, strength, peace, power, all of the realities for the Christian could be considered God's mercies. And that's what the first 11 chapters of Romans is all about, explaining the mercies of God to us who are sinners now experiencing salvation and transformation in Christ. And it's not only in response to those mercies, but it's actually through the mercies of Christ, that we actually live differently. And so he says, dwell on God's mercies. I, I urge you to do this, to present your bodies, which is a word to summarily speak of all of you, not just physically, but intellectually, emotionally, volitionally, your will, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual, or could be translated logical, service of worship. Once you start to understand, believe, and receive the blessings that come from your relationship with Christ, the logical response is to give your life fully to Him. So if you don't really understand God's mercies, and you're really pretty vague on a lot about what relationship with Christ is all about, it shouldn't surprise you that you're pretty much trying to hold on to your life for all that you can because you think it's about you. But the Christian grows to the ongoing reality that life is really about knowing the goodness of God, to enjoy Him, to experience Him, to receive His blessings, and to give your life fully to Him. That is where you're going to experience real transformation. And that leads us then to verse 2. 
so critical to your spiritual development is that you actually deny the pressure to conform to the world's patterns. Look at verse 2. He says, And do not be conformed to this world. The word conform has the idea to be molded according to a pattern. And in the case of the people that he's writing to, this is actually already happening. So that's why he gives the command to stop doing this. Stop letting the world force you into its mold. He says, do not be conformed to this world. And when he talks about world, he's not talking about the physical world so much as the spiritual world system. It could be better translated even age, the spirit of the age. The world has its own values, beliefs, it's the idea that you can pursue life to its fullest apart from a relationship with God. And it is reinforced, this, these values, through media, TV, internet, the culture, what we believe to be true. It is, it is part and parcel of to live in the world is to know its system. And before you and I were Christians, that's all we knew. We're trying to squeeze life out of anything but God. And we'll create idols. We've got all sorts of things that we will try to, to do to fill this void in our life. And he says, do not be conformed. Stop being conformed to this world. Now, we've got to take a minute here because there are a lot of Christians that take this, do not be conformed to this world, and they say, you know what? That means that we have to be absolutely, completely different in every respect to the world. So, for instance, what happens here is 12.2 gets interpreted and proclaimed, preached, even on like radio or different pulpits, to say that you've got to be peculiar, unique, in a sense of insignificant and irrelevant. Sometimes this is presented this way. Whatever the world does, you have to do the opposite, the antithesis. So for instance, if the world, the ladies in the world are wearing lipstick well, then to not be conformed to this world means that you must not wear lipstick. If the world is going to movies, then if you're not to be conformed to this world, then you have to do the opposite, so you don't. And what happens is that it's actually presented as kind of like a code of ethics for the Christian. You must do these things if you're a Christian, and it's, it's part and parcel to legalism. The idea that you have all these man-made rules that you have to follow, and oftentimes it finds its source in this verse. Do not be conformed to this world. Actually, that kind of mindset of making all these rules and regulating them and trying to enforce them, this is what the Pharisees were specialists at. That's why Jesus confronted them. He said, this isn't real spirituality you following all these man-made rules? When it says do not be conformed to this world, it is a refusal to conform to the sinful patterns of the world that lead to disobedience to God. That's what this is saying. Do not be conformed to a world system that tries to force you into its mold, to try to get you convinced that you don't need God, you don't need to follow His Word. That is the system of the world. And what happens is, is that the Christians, they oftentimes don't understand this. And the Spirit of God is seeking to bring about holiness in your life because He's the Holy Spirit, right? But you, on the other hand, if you're, if you're really just abiding by the things that you see in the world, it's like you're being torn apart. 
and it's twisting, and it's difficult, and you're like, why is it so hard? Why is it so painful? Because you don't understand the ongoing battle that is actually taking place. So let me review a few things. When you and I placed our faith and trust in Christ, there are some realities that took place, some major changes. Do you know that if you trust Christ, you are immediately forgiven of your sins? You're actually placed in God's family. God takes you from the domain of darkness. He transfers you into the kingdom of his beloved son. You go from darkness and death to life and light. You actually become a son or a daughter of God. He actually brings you into his family. And this experience is what the Bible talks about being like born from above or born again. You are spiritually made new. You are actually a new creature in Christ by virtue of the fact that you are united with Christ. That's what makes you new. And that's what then makes you God's son or his daughter, that you have peace with God, that the Spirit of God actually comes and takes up residence in your life, the penalty of sin is canceled, and you actually have the ability to overcome sin because of the presence of God in your life. All these things are true of a believer. But here's the problem. Most Christians fail to realize that even though you're a believer, you still have the capacity to sin. It is what the Bible calls your flesh or the old man, the residual nature of your fallenness, even though you're a new creature in Christ, still loves to rebel under, uh, against God's authority. It wants to pursue life apart from God, independent from Him, to find your sense of identity, value, peace, significance apart from God, and yet the Spirit of God is prompting you to find your validity, identity, peace, strength in Christ. And so you find that you've got this, this life of tension, and your inner life could be actually one of turmoil. And that may be the case of you even today. You're like, man, I, I'm not getting something about the Christian life because I, most of my Christian life I spend defeated and discouraged. I feel torn up inside. And, and frankly, we got plenty of Christians that that's their lifestyle pattern. It robs them of their joy. They lose their jobs. They fracture their families. They have all sorts of relationship chaos. They hear messages about God's peace and joy, and they'd really like it. They'll even sing songs about it, but that is not their experience. How come? Well, a large part of that has to do with verse 2. You're actually not putting this to play. It says, do not be conformed to this world. As followers of Christ... We've got to come to an understanding that life is more than sex, salary, and status. That if you are going to be somebody, that's what the world says, you've got to have some interplay of those dimensions. You've got to have pleasure, possessions, and position apart from God. And the reality is you can't have significance. You can't have spiritual vitality when you're trying to pursue the things of this world. What you want to do is you need to pursue God. And God will fill your life. And there's nothing wrong with sex or salary or status. When that becomes wrong is when, you, when they become your end all. You seek to live life independently from him. There's a guy by the name of Chip Ingram, Christian author. He actually writes of his experiences first couple years after becoming a Christian in college. And I'd like to read you a little excerpt. He says, Although I was a genuine child of God... My mind was dominated by lust. My thinking and behavior were rooted in a false belief that sexual gratification and popularity as a star performer would bring lasting happiness and fulfillment. I worshiped the idol of myself 
And I use the opposite sex as a means of self-gratification rather than as an opportunity for genuine love and deep relationship. In addition, basketball was far more than a game to be played in college. It was my attempt to gain status in the eyes of others and prove by my performance that I was important and worthy of attention. I poured my life into how I looked, how I performed, whom I could impress, and how I could get what I wanted. My lips and my life told two very different stories. And in my most honest moments, the guilt and duplicity was crushing. I had to keep moving fast and pushing down the Spirit's conviction as I lived this double life. Internally, I was miserable. But externally, I was misrepresenting and tarnishing the name of the one who gave up his life on the cross for me. Looking back, it's all very clear. But at the time, I really didn't know why the Christian life was so hard and why what had began as an amazing and joy-filled adventure had turned into an ugly battle that I was losing most the time. Why was he losing it? Why is he feeling this way? Do you know why? Romans 12, 2 wasn't a part of the fabric of how he lived. He was, not, he was conforming to the pressures of this world. Friends, you need to understand something. This world intends to dominate you, to own you. John wrote about it in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. He says, For all that is in the world, the world's system, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from what? It's from the evil one. It's, it's not from the Father. This is not what God intended. It is from the world. When he talks about the lust of the flesh, this has the idea that you are literally controlled by the impulses of your body. Specifically, like food, drink, but especially sex. Whatever your body wants, that's what it goes after. That fits into the world system. It appeals to you. It is reinforced by society. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. This has the idea that whatever your eyes see, it seeks out, whatever you want. And what happens is you view the vain and the vulgar and you experience it vicariously. And this is just, I mean, it's gone viral now that we have electronics and we carry, the, carry them with us. When you look at computer and our access to technology and what you can do with a phone, I mean, on a daily basis now, just, just would you just take a moment, just to stop. Consider the reality for most people. They're daily exposed to violence, murder, rape, adultery, homosexuality, pornography, almost as a part of a daily routine through the venues of TV, movies, magazines, and the internet. It, you are continually bombarded and exposed to it, and guess what? You begin to think this is normal because after all, it is the spirit of the age. It is the world. It's the world's values. And so if you want to know, like, well, how in the world did our culture end up this way? I mean, how are we making decisions? Like, can't you see that's wrong? Do you know how most people think, like, of course, of course we should have homosexual marriage. Of course we shouldn't actually defend laws that we've passed that actually say that's wrong because you know what? You know what? It's normal. It's the spirit of the age. It's where we're at. We've evolved to this. Well, that explains a lot of the world, but this is the problem. Most Christians, where are they getting fed? They're getting fed 
from what the world is showing them. And they begin to think like the world, even though they are Christians, and they've been pulled out of the world. And so we've got folks that are just taking the lust of their eyes and this boastful pride of life where life is all about me. It's about self-display and self-glory. And what happens is we have Christians that are exercising no discernment. They can't actually say, no, that's wrong. That's not in keeping the word because you know why? They're never in the word. Or you go to a church where it's never going deep with God, discernment, navigating the culture, walking with God, not an issue. And yet, Paul says, if you really want transformation, you cannot be conformed to this world. You have to exercise discernment between what is good and what is not good, what is right and what is wrong, what is holy and what is not of God. That's what this text calls you to do. You cannot be conformed to this world. It's kind of like uh, the evangelist and pastor J. Wilbur Chapman uh, from about 100 years ago. He said this, It is not the ship in the water, but the water in the ship that sinks it. You know, the ship, it's made to go in the water, right? Yeah. But the problem is, if like, you got a bunch of water in your ship, then what happens? Do you know what happens? The ship sinks. That's exactly right. The kids on the front row got it. The, your ship sinks when you have water in the boat. And the same, he says, for the Christian. So it is, so it's not the Christian in the world, but the world in the Christian that constitutes the danger. And that is the problem. Philip Yancey, in his book, What Good is God? He recounts the events that took place in 2004 in the Ukraine election. There was a reformer by the name of Viktor Yakshenko, and he challenged the entrenched party. And on election day, the exit polls showed that Yoshenko was in a comfortable lead. But when it came time to release the results, the government produced outright fraud. And this is what they did. They reversed the results. And so in the evening, the state-run television reported this. Ladies and gentlemen, we announced that the challenger Viktor Yoshenko has been decisively defeated. However, though they were broadcasting this to the entire nation, and even the world was watching, they, they didn't take into account one really little itty-bitty lady who appears at the bottom right hand uh, of the screen who was doing the sign language, and she communicated to the deaf community in Ukraine. And this woman, brave soul, raised by parents who are both deaf and mute, she translates this, and this is what she says on TV via sign language. She translated, she, she presents this, I am addressing all the deaf citizens of Ukraine. Don't believe what they say. They are lying. I am ashamed to translate these lies. Yushchenko is our president. Now, no one in the studio understood what she was doing, this radical, very bold move, but the deaf community did. They got on their phones, they began texting, and word got out. And what it, this became known as the Orange Revolution. Starting, there's a couple other journalists that started to actually stand up and say, this isn't right. That isn't the end or result. Yushchenko actually is our president. Well, what happened is it became the Orange Revolution. They actually wore orange to show that they were revolting against a government who was completely sending them the wrong message. And eventually, a million people gathered into Kiev and to protest, and finally, the government buckled under the pressure. 
And they had another election. And Yushchenko won by a landslide. He became the undisputed winner. Now, I tell you this because our society is like the big screen. And Jesus is like the sign translator, the little part of the picture right at the bottom of the corner. And he is telling you what you're seeing and what is being said is a lie. I am the truth and the way and the life. You can't have life apart from me. And so you have Jesus confronting a culture. And that is why he tells and calls his people with an imperative, do not be conformed to this world. If you really want to mature in your relationship with Christ, you have to come to a place where you are denying the pressure to conform to the world's patterns. And friends, if you are not, then what's taking place in your quote-unquote Christian life and the mess that it is, and the superficiality, and you probably already slipped into patterns of hypocrisy. Do you know why? It's because what your diet is. What you put in has a way of coming out. Paul says it's not just a negative, the things that you stay away from. It's not a negative prohibition only. He says there is also a positive affirmation. Look at the whole verse. He says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. What you need to know is that you need to have your mind transformed because what you put into your mind has a way of flowing out of your life. Similar principle to like your car. So what do you have to put into your car to make it go? What's the fuel? This is not a trick question. I know that some of you are very well educated. Do you happen to know what it is? Really? Okay, it's gasoline. We, I'm going to keep the kids in here next time because they have all the answers. Okay? It's gasoline. This is not a trick question. You know that you have to put gas into the tank, right? Otherwise, the car's not going to run. Um, this, this, home, this point was driven home to me again by my mother when we had a, a situation. Uh, there was a, a kid when I was growing up in Montana, and his name was Dusty, and this guy... He had a propensity for trouble. He, he, was, he was a little wild, and he was, he was clever, but he'd always do really crazy stuff, and my mom would always tell us that whatever Dusty was doing, that we should do the opposite, okay? It was a, and so I always had a little guide. i just look at the neighborhood kid. Whatever he's doing, I need to do differently. Well, one time, he, Dusty took uh, pebbles, these little rocks, and he filled his grandfather's gas tank in his car with them, okay? Now, everybody in the whole community knew about that in this little town that I lived in. And my mom and dad made it ultra clear, we are to never do that. And, and Dusty's grandfather loved that boy dearly, but I tell you what, that was a huge test, okay? Things didn't work. Do you think the car worked all right with rocks in it? No, 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 no. Nothing worked with rocks in it. You see, that's the wrong kind of fuel. Or if you have water mixed with your gasoline, how does that work? It, it doesn't. You know what you need? You need pure petrol. You need gasoline to make your car work. And friends, you and I, we need God and his word. C.S. Lewis uh, said this. He said, a car is made to run on gasoline, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself was the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why It is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. 
God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. You see, what this text says is you and I need to be transformed. It has the idea that you are changed from within. We get our word metamorphosis from the Greek word metamorpho, which is found here, where you, you're literally changed from within. That's what relationship Christ does. It's not external. I got to put this code of conduct. I got to work hard. I got to behave. But actually, it is growing in your relationship with Christ. And notice how you're transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. It's what you feed your mind. Please understand this. Growing as a Christian is not about you following rules. I got to do these 12 things in order to be holy or to know God. No, it's not about rules and it's not about you. You got to work harder. You got to take your life more seriously. It's not about rules or working harder. It really is a lot about your diet. It's about what you eat. You see, what fills our minds fuels our lives. We are just about ready to enter into season where we're going to just pack in so much food into our lives. We're going we're to hit new heights on the scale. Why? Because we're going to eat a lot of food, right? We're going to have a lot of fuel. So it is with our lives spiritually. What are you putting in? Because what you put in has a way of making it out. God wants your lives fueled by him and his word. That's how you and I are designed. We are to be transformed. You know, like a caterpillar. Caterpillar. You know, they, they look like this like little worm with legs and it's kind of crawling around on the floor or on the ground, right? And you know what the caterpillar does? This grovelly little thing, it makes its way up a tree, and it goes up on a branch, right? And it makes that little chrysalis, right? And eventually, that same caterpillar turns into that beautiful butterfly. I mean, it is awesome. You know what that is? That is metamorphosis. That is transformation. It's all about the same, except it's completely different. That, that little caterpillar is kind of like us groveling around on the ground. But when we're drinking the drivel of society. But when you come to Christ, he, he literally changes you from the inside out. And we're meant to live differently. You are not chained to this world you have a freedom to fly and to enjoy life like it was intended. I mean, the butterflies are cool. You watch them, they're floating around. I mean, it is awesome. How very different than their lowly life of trying to not get run over by your kid's scooter. I mean, just crawling on the ground. But when a Christian just conforms himself to this world, it's like they never experience this great transformation. It's an ongoing process. It's kind of like an acorn. That acorn drops and when it hits the ground, do you know it has the capacity to turn into a tree? Friends, as a believer... God intends to totally change your life from the inside out, and you are to live differently. And notice what the text says. You renew your mind, truth from God's word, uh, having Christian friends influence you, being involved in worship, being involved in a local church. Having your mind always renewed by truth leads to this transforming process in our life. And notice what the text says, so that you may prove what the will of God is. It to prove has the idea of to prove by testing. This was the word that they would use to actually determine the worth of a coin or an ingot, like a bar of gold or silver. You know what they did? If they wanted to find out, like, is this really gold? They'd melt it and observe it to see what kind of impurities rose from it. 
Well, that's what we are to do with our lives. We are to show through the process of renewing our mind with God's Word and through His Spirit that God's will is good and pleasing and perfect, that God's will is good, that it's winsome, attractive, beautiful, rich, satisfying, because it is, right? I mean, haven't we learned? You try to do life on your own, you're like, eh, I'm going to do, I don't, I don't really care what God has to say about that. I'm living this way. This is my form of entertainment. I'm going to run my business this way. And it is, it's bad, right? It's like being torn apart. And there's some pretty serious consequences that come that way. On the other hand, God's will is good. It is pleasing. It's not only acceptable to God, it's pleasing to ourselves. His way is the best way. You can either learn that the easy way by taking him at his word or the hard way, but I can assure you God's way is always the best way and it is perfect. It's according to design. It maximizes the full potential of realizing God's purposes in our lives. And so the Christian life is being transformed by the renewal of your mind and you show the world that God and his will are the best. If you're, if you're just like in life and you're, and you're, and you really never demonstrate peace, and you really have no joy, and you see the Christian life as just like this huge burden on your life, the opposite of what Jesus said it should be, no one is attracted to things like that. Before I was a Christian, when I encountered the real deal, real believers, they were doing Romans 12, 1 and 2, and they showed that knowing Christ is a joy. It's good. It's pleasing. It's, it's, obs- it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. That's what we're to do with our lives. That is the, God's will for us. And so what happens is, is that the Word of God, the, God takes, the Spirit of God takes the Word of God to accomplish the work of God in our lives. And you show that God's will for me as a single, as a student, as a married person, as, as someone who's grieving the loss of a spouse, that God's will is perfect. And I love Him, and He is a joy to be known. Before you were a Christian, you thought that life was all about you. But once you start to grow in your understanding of what it means to really know Christ, you realize that life is really all about Him. Your orientation changes. And what happens is you allow God's Word to renew your mind. And His Spirit brings about a work that you live differently. You see, what you put in your mind has a way of coming out your life. That is how it works. So, for instance... If your diet consists mostly of internet temptations, primetime TV, movies, magazines that are way off base, self-help books, and romance novels, do not be surprised if your life, even as a Christian, doesn't look a whole lot like Jesus. Why? Because whatever you fill your mind with fuels your life. And what you put in has a way of coming out. On the other hand, when you come to Romans 12, 1 and 2, it, it calls for a life of just based upon God's mercies, how good he is to us, what he's accomplished through the work of Christ to give our lives wholly and fully to him. And it is a supernatural work. It's not you trying harder. It's not you imposing rules of things that I've got to do. It's literally you do as he's asked, feed yourself truth. And God, in a supernatural way, brings about this work in your life. And you see, renewing our mind isn't to make you smarter. It is to fuel your relationship with Jesus. That's true spirituality. Spirituality is never fundamentally about our external behavior. 
It's about an internal relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. It's relationally focused. When we renew our mind, it is so that we can behold the goodness of Jesus. Well, you are what you eat. Remember that guy, Chip Ingram, I referenced a little earlier? Let me read you another excerpt of something he wrote. He said, I shared my struggle with lust. I was a prisoner, and no amount of self-effort delivered me. No matter how many times I pleaded with God, asked for forgiveness, and made promises about my future behavior, I continually experienced defeat until, now listen to this, until I changed my mental diet. I did not understand the spiritual principles of transformation. It wasn't long before I made the connection between my newfound victory and memorizing Scripture. I learned that victory could be experienced not only in the area of lust, but with pleasing people, workaholism, pride, jealousy, worry, and a host of other issues. As time went on, I began to get very serious about renewing my mind, both by memorizing Scripture and studying it for myself. I began to look at specific areas of need in my life and find promises in God's Word that I could claim, memorize, meditate on, and then watch transformation occur. So did you that what you really want? Transformation? Well, you're going to have to devote some time to renew your mind with truth. If you're not spending any time in the Word, I'm going to just challenge you to take five. Just five minutes. Two minutes just being still and praying to God. And three, reading something from the Scriptures, maybe these two verses in Romans 12, and thinking upon them. You can't stop at five because the Spirit of God just fuels that. That's what you're designed for, to know, to grow, to mature, to experience the goodness and the likeness of Jesus. But just give me five minutes try it. Some of you, you've been experiencing this pattern and you're seeing growth in your life. That's how transformation happens. It doesn't begin with behavior, focusing on behavior. It's not beginning on focusing on your attitudes. It always begins with our thinking so that the Spirit of God takes the Word of God to accomplish the work of God in a believer's life. And what happens is the Bible reminds us that we are so completely and absolutely loved, unconditionally. Do you know why God says stay away from the things of this world that are not aligned with Him? that are in disobedience when we engage them because they hurt us. They create tension and breakdown in our fellowship. God wants you to experience his very best. He wants you to experience him. That's why we simply can't conform to this world. And so what we do is we, we find that like Bible reading or going to church or spiritual practices, these aren't things that we have to do because we're Christians. These are things like, man, we get to do. It's like they're like the driveway to God's presence. And they fuel our life. Some of you are familiar with uh, Pastor Tom Nelson at Denton Bible Church. His wife, Teresa, when she's um, discipling young ladies in her church, she, uh, she has a way of teaching them about the importance of Romans 12, 1 and 2, which is one of her key texts in helping these girls develop. And what she does is she shows them a bottle. She shows them a glass bottle that has like wire in there. And she explains, like, when you become a Christian, well, what happens? And then she takes out a hammer, and she smashes that bottle. And the glass all breaks, and there are all those wires. Now, I was afraid that I'd hurt myself, so I, I got a plastic bottle, okay? All right? But what happens is, is that when you become a Christian, God literally breaks you out of the shell 
in which you once were. And the world, this no longer is the mold in which you fit in. It's, it's gone. But you'll notice, though, that, that though you're a Christian and you're a believer, that your shape is still very much like the world in which you came from. And that's where transformation takes place. You give yourself fully to God based upon his mercies. You're no longer conformed to this world. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. And as you spend time in God's word, as you yield yourself fully to God and his spirit, he brings changes in your life. What you thought about beauty and value and, and what is truly lovely, what you're made for, your design, what, what are your ethics, your morals, what's good, what's pure, what's holy, what's right. What happens is God's word starts changing, that spirit of God brings changes. Sometimes stretching and changing the shape of these wires of your life is hard and it's difficult. But God is committed to the process of bringing full holiness because you know what he's doing? He's committed to making you into the image of his son so that you and I look a lot like Jesus. So friends, what fills your mind fuels your life. And God wants you to experience his very best. He wants you to experience in him. That's why he's given us Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for a tremendous passage of Scripture. And Lord, if there is someone here today who has never put their trust and faith in your son, would they simply pray with me now? God, I, I turn from myself and my self-centeredness, and I see Jesus for who he is, Savior and Lord. And God, right now, I, I, I ask for forgiveness of my sins, and I put my trust and faith in Jesus to be Lord and Savior of my life. And Lord, for all of us, may our lives be a picture of transformation. Would you help us to grow in holiness, to know the goodness of the Lord? Lord, only you can do the work. And so we ask as we pray for your glory and in Jesus' name, amen.